Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to Pediapod's first episode of 2021. Good to have you back. This month, we explore the impact of pediatric chronic kidney disease on the brain. Pediatric chronic kidney disease results in a lifelong burden that requires routine care. Neurocognitive dysfunction, specifically impairment on tasks of executive function, is a well-established comorbidity, but there's a paucity of data exploring the neurobiology of these cognitive deficits. In this episode, I speak to this month's highlighted early career investigator, Dr. Lindsay Harshman, a paediatric nephrologist at the University of Iowa's Stead Family Children's Hospital. She and her team use structural magnetic resonance imaging to compare the brain morphometry between early-stage paediatric chronic kidney disease children and their typically developing peers, as well as linking this brain morphometry with disease status and performance on neurocognitive assessments. Here she is. Pediatric nephrology may not be everybody's first choice on their list um, when you go into medical school or pediatrics training. I had an excellent inpatient rotation and saw some extremely complex kids. And seeing those complex kids and seeing the ability of the nephrologist to actually have a direct and meaningful impact and to be able to integrate physiology, immunology, pharmacology, all of the ologies, right, (laughs) into the care of these patients was just tremendous. That really impressed upon me that, yeah, this is what I want to do. I can have an impact in this field. And so where do you stand between clinical work and research? So currently I'm on the end of a five-year K award from the National Institutes of Health, an early career uh, mentored research grant. So coming out of year five here and working on getting my own kind of big girl grant, I guess you could say, after I transition out of this one. So technically 75% of my time is research, which is phenomenal. I'm really well protected in that regard. And then the remainder is clinical. A primary focus of your research, which you spend so much time on, is pediatric chronic kidney disease. I don't think we've actually discussed that on the Pediapod before, so I wonder if you could give us a really short summary of what it is, its prevalence, its pathology. The primary cause of pediatric chronic kidney disease is congenital anomalies. So kids are born with something that lends to kidney dysfunction. We often think of it as a piping or a plumbing issue that the kidneys don't drain well into the bladder or the kidneys are not formed well. That's the majority of cases of chronic kidney disease. There's been really nice data published from the chronic kidney disease in childhood cohort. A component of the study, the CKID study, looks at cognition. 
it does continue to support that our patients overall do fairly well in school, maybe slightly below average on certain academic domains. But if you look at the kids overall compared to their peers, they do have more, again, executive function issues. So rather than having a global cognitive um, deficit, they have more of these subtle deficits that in the long run actually can really add up to be pervasive in work-life balance. But that's not to say that we have quite caught up with the neurobiology of how the Correct. how the brain is perhaps interfacing with the kidney. You know, in the pediatric side, there really have been a paucity of studies looking at this. And the studies that have been done are looking at a very general sample. But I do think that one of the big strengths of the data we have from my lab is that we have kids in a very well-defined cohort, all congenital kidney disease patients. And we actually have real-time lab data that goes along with their visit. So it's very well characterized. Were there differences then in the morphometrics between your control group and your pediatric CKD children? Yes, there were definitely morphometric brain differences between the two groups where we see that the cerebellum volume is definitely smaller in the chronic kidney disease patients and that the cortex volume is actually substantially bigger. One thing that we had been mulling around and I think is a very reasonable hypothesis is that particularly the gray matter in the cerebral cortex, it has a very delicate pruning cycle when patients are growing and developing. And it seems like the cortex, the gray matter within our pediatric CKD patients is definitely abnormal and potentially subject to a pruning defect. And certainly one could ask, is having a chronic kidney disease process itself potentially driven by underlying genetic variants? And does that same process actually change how the brain grows? I think that's a question we have to continue to ask. Are subtle genomic variants driving both ends of this? But in our paper, as we definitely were able to plot out quite nicely, lower estimated glomerular filtration rate is associated with lower brain volume within the cerebellum. And so that certainly supports the idea that there is a disease-driven component of this potentially in addition to other factors we just don't understand yet. And as you said, in parallel to the imaging studies, you were doing these cognitive assessments as well. Did those results mirror the reports from previous findings? Yes, that was actually really gratifying to see our data do very nicely replicate what's been done previously. Data from CKID, the Chronic Kidney Disease and Childhood Cohort, which has a robust patient volume in it, has really nicely shown that IQ intelligence is overall fairly stable for our pediatric CKD patients, maybe slightly lower compared to healthy controls. And that's what we showed as well. And then in, again, with our data and compared to other data sets that are out there, we do see that there are very subtle executive function deficits and then behavior control as far as executive function goes. Impulsivity, certainly we see as a more of an issue in our cohort. And that's very clearly replicated with other studies that are out there as well. I suppose you'd be more confident saying that the structural differences in the brain could be responsible for some of those cognitive impairments. What might be slightly more up for debate is how exactly renal function is affecting the shape of the brain or vice versa. I mean, what's your thinking on the mechanism and the direction of causality here between renal function and brain morphology? I do think that the directionality between renal function and brain morphology is circular to some extent, to be very honest about it. I think that lower kidney function does probably drive what we see on brain morphology. 
But yet, I do think that in that kidney disease abnormality to the brain, there is sort of a circumferential redirection whereby the underlying drivers of kidney disease may actually have a neurobiological impact on the brain. So there are some of those studies that we would just have to potentially in the future take back to even mouse models and look at how different genomic variants or knockouts in mice could predict what we see on the brain as well. Yeah, because you said that the majority of pediatric CKD patients did have a congenital disease. Have you got plans to go searching for genetic variants which are associated with it? There is some nice data from Ali Garabi's lab at Columbia that looks at the association of genomic variants on cognition. And that data was actually fairly closely aligned with the CKID cohort, which has a wealth of data available to look at and to do association studies. And so with the genomic variants that the Gravi lab looked at, they do see that certain genomic variants, again, oftentimes these single nucleotide polymorphisms, actually do play a role in cognition. Um, Things like executive function, again, in particular, and even one's state of anxiety. And so I think it's a very reasonable next step to say, you know, how do we use data that's already available? Some of our knowledge to these genomic variants that are out there, look at them within my cohort, other cohorts. And again, recognizing you need to go to other centers and work together to be able to get a critical mass to really fully disentangle these questions. Some of the new data that we have coming out of my lab has actually looked at markers of brain injury things like protein called neurofilament light chain. It's a marker of axonal injury or white matter injury. And I've really just been going through these biomarker samples recently and seeing that the kids that have longer duration of chronic kidney disease have higher levels of these white matter injury biomarkers. And that does definitely associate with what we see on some of our brain imaging in my lab. So that certainly lends to an idea that yes, there is a longitudinal component to this We need to have a larger sample. We need to be able to work with other groups and really get data and congregate. And in terms of searching for therapeutic targets, is that something that you're looking at? And which way would you go? Would you be focusing on the kidney or the brain? Yeah, that's a great question. Therapeutic targets, I think, are always on the mind of a clinician researcher. What I would anticipate we look at are markers of chronic kidney disease control. Are we needing to do a better job with high blood pressure or hypertension control? There's other um, data that's out there that I've published as well, looking at the effect of acidosis or low bicarbonate on the brain. And this has also been published in the adult world as well through the chronic renal insufficiency cohort and looking at the effect of acidosis on the brain. It definitely seems like having better control of the metabolic acidosis component of chronic kidney disease probably has an impact on the brain as well. I don't think we fully understand it yet, but it's fair to say that better control of acid-base balance in our patients and then better control of hypertension probably are two of the uh, quote-unquote easiest things we can do and most practical things we can do as pediatric nephrologists to potentially diminish the impact of disease on the brain. That was Dr. Lindsay Harshman, a pediatric nephrologist at the University of Iowa's Stead Family Children's Hospital. And that's it for this episode. As always, we'll be back next month, and I hope you'll join us again then. I'm Jeff Marsh. Thanks for listening.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.